What's up, guys? Thanks for joining us as you log on. Uh, thank you for that. We're doing something new tonight, but this is something that I hope to keep. Uh, the new format, if you will, we've got um, some exciting things planned for 2023. Namely, Proper Ministries as a whole is going to seek to, we're what, 11 days in, 12 days in, something like that, um, to January, but we want to hit the ground running really go strong this year for our first full year of actually being committed and saying that proper ministries is going to be um, a, a a true ministry, a true tool to where we're actually reaching out to people, helping them, trying to get engaged in the community. And with that, uh, praise the Lord for this, we've actually already launched um, the proper Nook, which is a little public library, theological library that we have here in Glenville, and we've got some really good feedback from that. We actually had somebody the other day. Um, it was a it was a couple. They were on a road trip, but they stopped in. They checked out a book, so they signed up. They followed all the rules and everything. So I reached out to them and I said, "Hey, thank you so much for for checking out a book from the Proper Nook." She said, "Hey, we love the book. Uh, would it be okay if we kept this copy and we're going to send you a new copy of the exact same book?" So that was really exciting to know that it's been a blessing to people who aren't even local. They were literally traveling through and stopped by, checked out a book. So that's exciting. We're excited for more things this Saturday. Uh, so just two days uh, from now at the Point Church in Hazelhurst, we're having a live question and answer event open to the public. We'd love to see you there. And then of course we have this podcast and uh, hopefully later in the year, not too much later, um, we're trying to get the groundwork laid for this already, but we want to have a conference uh, on the gospel, what it is and why it's important. And with that being said, the, the last uh, installment of the podcast that I did was on what we need most, the gospel. And we kind of went back to the basics and said, we've got to have the right gospel. We've got to have the true gospel. Uh, and that was and that was the last podcast that we did with Reformation South. So a couple of things said we wanted to do something new. I'm, I'm on Facebook Live right now. We're also recording the podcast. Now, the podcast from this day forward is no longer going to be Reformation South. So let me explain that. Reformation South, we actually went through a launch and a relaunch and then kind of a shift. When we started as Reformation South, there was three of us. It was myself. Uh, and two really, really good friends, Chesley and Ben. And the goal of Reformation South was for us three to get together and really talk about things within Bible Belt church culture that we strongly believe needed to be addressed, needed to be reformed. Uh, now that burden is still there for me and for the other two. However, for a long, long time now, it's been just me. It just didn't work out to where the three of us could continue getting together consistently and recording those um, podcasts. And then ultimately, uh, Chesley's back in school now um, and doing really well in that. Uh, ben ended up at a new job and then me and my family, we actually moved to Glenville. So then distance became an issue as well. Um, so with the intention of proper ministries being more focused and being more driven this year, uh, I really thought deeply about the podcast and how to address it. Do we need to relaunch again? Do we just need to start over? Um, and so the solution was this. Uh, the podcast from here on out is going to be Christianity proper. 
So it's not me Reformation South anymore. Now, all of the old podcasts are still going to be up. They're still going to be available. We're just changing the name to Christianity Proper so that everything is more streamlined and everything is more unified. So Proper Ministries and Christianity Proper, which is a podcast through Proper Ministries. So Proper Ministries, Christianity Proper, while the word proper, the definition of proper is fairly simple and straightforward. Um. The word proper means to actually be what something claims to be. If we're going to call ourselves Christians, we ought to genuinely be Christians. We ought to be Christians that are proper Christians. We ought to really be Christ followers. We ought to really be those who have been born again and are walking in the light as he was in the light and um, and people who are actually obedient to the word, obedient to scripture. So that's kind of the, the uh, this very short version and the very simple approach to <clears throat> where did Christianity proper, where did proper ministries, where did that even come from? Now, apply that to um, start very small and then work your way out. If we call ourselves Christians, we as individuals ought to be proper Christians. If we belong to a family or if we have a family of our own and we say, well, we're a Christian family, well, we ought to make sure we actually understand what the Christian family is, what it's meant to look like, and that our family truly is seeking to honor and glorify God in all things. Then, if we're a part, if as an individual Christian, we're a part of a Christian family, and that Christian family is a part of a Christian church, a local gathering of the saints, and we say, well, we go to church at such and such a place, or this is the church we attend, well, then that church ought to be a proper church. That church ought to be a church as defined within God's word. That church ought to be a church that is grounded and rooted in the scriptures. So now for the third time, let me, <coughs> let me try to get out what we're doing tonight. I'm Facebook Live and we're recording a podcast at the same time. Here's how we're going to do this from here on out. Every time I record a podcast, I'm going to jump on Facebook Live I'm going to try to do it whenever I record. I'm going to try. I'm going to emphasize try. I'm going to try to do it around 8 p.m. anytime that I record. It may be later than that. It may be earlier than that. Um, I have fought in my own mind mentally back and forth with, do I keep a long format for the podcast, like an hour to an hour and a half, or do I try to chop it up, break it up into sections? Um, for better or for worse, I'm going to commit to long form because it's easier it's easier to get it all out when it's right here in front of me. It's easier to just start at the top and dive all the way down to the bottom um, and go through it. Um, and so here's the thing. I know that many of you might say, well, I don't have an hour or an hour and a half to listen all at once. Uh, stick with it. If it's here on Facebook Live, it saves. So you'll be able to come back to it the next day or the next day, but it's also in podcast form. If you're not following us already, Christianity Proper is available on um, iTunes, Spotify, anywhere that you get your major podcasts. Uh, Google Podcast, Podbean is the actual app that we use. So Podbean, yes, literally like a kidney bean, B-E-A-N, Podbean. Um, so we're out there. Search for the podcast, Christianity Proper. You will find us. Um, so tune in. I know that you may not have an opportunity to listen to the whole thing at once. Listen to 30 minutes, come back later and listen to another 30 minutes, and then listen to another one later on. What we're going to do for the Facebook Live, though, is as we record, we're going to stay here live on Facebook. We're going to shoot for like 40 
45 minutes or so. Then I'm going to log out of Facebook. I'll finish the podcast as a podcast and it'll all be uploaded onto Christianity proper. So um, especially for the longer ones that might go like an hour and a half or two hours, I won't, I'm not going to keep that whole thing here on Facebook Live. So for the sake of the live video, we're going to go 40, 45, maybe 50-ish minutes. We might push the hour mark. Um, and then the rest of it is going to be recorded on the podcast. So we would encourage you, tune in, join us however you are able. Uh, if you enjoy what we're doing here, if it's an encouragement to you, if it's a blessing to you, if you think that, uh, if you think other people need to hear what we're doing, then please um, share proper ministries. We do have a Facebook page. I'm working on a website, maybe um, maybe seven to 10 days and that website will be launched. And I'm really excited about that. I'm actually going to do a podcast and a Facebook update uh, to explain why I'm so excited about the website and what all is going to be on it. So let's dive into our topic tonight. I think I covered all of my announcements and all of my explanations. So let's dive in. This is the first installment of Christianity proper. And uh, we're continuing the series that I started a couple weeks ago with Reformation South. But again, the rebrand, the rename, what we need most. When I say we, I mean believers. Chiefly, I mean believers. I mean the modern church, Bible Belt churches, what we need the most is sound doctrine. Now, you could also expand that. What we as human beings in general need the most is sound doctrine. Last installment was the gospel. That's simple enough, right? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Um, unsaved people need to hear the gospel so that they may come to the faith. Saved people need to be reminded of the gospel each and every day so that we remain humbled so that we remain grounded and rooted in the faith, so that we can walk with a sober mind, understanding that we who deserve death, we deserve the judgment of God, have received the mercy and grace of God and have received eternal life through Jesus Christ, his son. That ought to humble us and sober us up each and every day. I don't really sleep much, Marie. Thanks for the wonderful question. So um, what we need most is sound doctrine. We started with the gospel. That's kind of a zoned in, honed in look. Sound doctrine covers everything from Genesis to Revelation. What we need the most is sound doctrine. Why is this such a burden? Why is this a big deal? Sound doctrine is that which feeds and strengthens and edifies and equips every single believer for the work of the ministry. It equips us for the good works which God has prepared for us beforehand. Um, it teaches us, it trains us, it sanctifies us. Um, sound doctrine renews, renews our minds so that, we can, so that we can learn to actually think and operate with the mind of Christ. It's all related to sound doctrine. And again, you take it all the way back to salvation. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, but sound doctrine encompasses the Christian life from start to finish. It's the true gospel that, that brings man to salvation. So there's the start. It's, it's sound doctrine that again, strengthens and matures and grows the believer. It's sound doctrine that equips the believer for every good work. It's sound doctrine. It's the word of God that, that makes one complete, uh, equipped for every good work. Um, 
and it's sound doctrine that will sustain us and carry us to the end when we're presented holy and blameless before him in glory. So sound doctrine literally from start to finish, it encompasses the Christian life. The tagline for Christianity proper is simply proper doctrine, proper life. Now I went back and forth on that one as well because I can I can hear it already. There may be some people that in their head they might be thinking, oh, well, it's not all about doctrine. It's not all about just knowing the right stuff. How can he say proper doctrine, proper life? And I say, I get that to an extent. Uh, of course, it's not just about knowing the right things. If we have not been born again, if God has not given us a heart of flesh to replace that heart of stone, if our minds have not been renewed, if we have not received that new life and become a new creature through the regeneration of the spirit and the grace of God, then yeah, knowing the right stuff isn't really going to affect us much. If we don't have love, then we're still empty and we have nothing, right? So I can get that sentiment to an extent. However, proper doctrine, proper life. I've already said and mentioned that, and by the way, that was 2 Timothy 3 uh, verses uh, 15, 16, that even then it says that the scriptures are able to make one wise unto salvation. So again, from start to finish, it's able to make us wise to salvation. It's able to equip us and make us uh, complete, lacking nothing, ready and equipped for every good work. Well, that pretty much encompasses the whole of life. So sound doctrine or sorry, Christianity proper, proper doctrine, proper life. And, and, and here's the other thing. If somebody says, well, it's not about knowing all the right stuff. It's just about knowing Jesus. As long as I love Jesus, as long as I know Jesus, then that's all that I need. And I would simply ask a straightforward question. Tell me how I need to love Jesus and tell me how I know I'm loving the right Jesus without using doctrine, without using theology. Tell me how to love Jesus properly and tell me how to be sure that I'm worshiping the right Jesus without doctrine and without theology. You can't do it. So there's this, there's this weird mindset that, that, that some people have that like, oh, doctrine, theology, bad. All I, all I need to know is Jesus. But here's that doctrine is just a teaching. Uh, doctrine is just a, a set of uh, teachings and standards and things that are taught by, if you look it up in a dictionary, it's just going to say mainly the church, but it could be a, a religious organization. But we as Christians, we doctrine is that which is taught from scripture and sound doctrine is healthy doctrine. Sound doctrine, proper doctrine is doctrine that is correct and that is consistent from Genesis to Revelation. So when we say doctrine, uh, and then theology is just literally the study of God. So when we say doctrine and theology, and then somebody says, I don't need doctrine and theology. I just need to know Jesus. If, if you say you don't need doctrine and theology, in essence, you're actually saying you don't really need to know Jesus. You just need to have this concept of God. Well, I think we'd all agree that just having a concept of God or a concept of Jesus is pretty dangerous to say the least. So Christianity proper, Proper doctrine, proper life. Why is it such a big deal now? I firmly believe that if any of us were to venture to uh, a different church every Sunday for the next, say, two months. So you got eight Sundays, possibly nine Sundays. 
go to a different church every Sunday and, and take it in. Just listen, listen to that sermon, listen to that preacher. And if we were to write down everything that we heard being preached and taught from pulpits, we would probably hear a wide array of different doctrines. Then as the listeners, it would be our responsibility to take what we had heard and put it up against scripture to see if the doctrine being taught was sound doctrine or if it was false doctrine. So proper doctrine or improper doctrine. Uh, that would be up to us to see if that preacher was actually teaching the word of God. Um, we need sound doctrine because if we, if we say, well, I'm a Christian and I want to, to know God, even if we're using the Bible, we say, I want to know God. I want to know more about the Bible. And then we come before the scripture and we read it and we say things like, well, I think it means this. And we come to our own conclusions. We're, we're probably not going to, we're probably not going to automatically come to all the right conclusions. Uh, we're probably not going to automatically be spot on with our interpretation of scripture. So sound doctrine is doctrine that, that you can, it goes from Genesis to Revelation and it's consistent. Uh, meaning simply that I have my Bible open to Galatians right now. So if I'm reading something from Galatians and I say, oh, well, this means fill in the blank. And then I turn to 2 Timothy and I read something from 2 Timothy and I say, oh, well, that means this. But if that means what I think it means, then this passage in Galatians doesn't really mean anything. If scripture becomes at odds with one another, or if scripture contradicts itself, we can rest assured we don't have the right doctrine. We're not, we're, we're having a misunderstanding. But also, and this is just a bit more, this is a bit more subtle, because I think there's a lot of people that would say, well, obviously, if I'm looking at Galatians, and there seems to be a big contradiction between Galatians and Timothy, I would probably say my understanding is off. But another dangerous thing that, thing that happens, and I think this one's more common, is coming to a conclusion that seems to make logical sense, coming to a, to a conclusion that seems to make some sense. It's logical, it's plausible. And so we say, oh, well, this means that, and we teach it. And then other people latch onto that and they think, oh, well, I know what that verse means. I know what that passage means because my, my teacher or my preacher said such and such. So he taught me what that means. Or it doesn't even have to come from a preacher. If we're studying the word of God on our own and we say, well, I don't really know what that means, but it could mean this. And that seems to make sense to me. If it's not the way that God intended it to be understood. If it's not the way that the writer of a particular book meant it to be understood, it's still not sound doctrine. It's still not proper doctrine. Um, so if we're reading a, a really popular one, I think I use this probably almost every time this topic comes up. A real popular one is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So if we take that and we say, well, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So that means like, I, I can do whatever. I really want that promotion at work. Well, I can do all things through Christ. I can get that promotion through Christ. Um, I really, uh, I've, been, I've been doing my best and trying to save up and I really want 
a new house for my family. And it's always been a dream of my, well, I can do all things through Christ. I can, and, and, and another easy one that's, that's, it's easy to pick on and I am just picking, but it's still wrong, but I am just picking at this point. You got a big game coming up, whether you're actually on the sports team or whether it's just your team. Um, like I remember when the Braves won the world series a couple years ago, that was awesome. Right. Um, you'll, if the cameraman pans the stands, like a lot of times you'll see people praying. Well, what are they praying? They're praying, God help my team to win. But we also know of athletes that'll use Philippians 4.13. I can do all things. Well, what are they using that for? I can win this game. I can win this championship. I can I can stay healthy. I can not get injured. They might be using it, for, but it all has to do with sports. It all has to do with their competition, right? I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. What did Paul mean? Paul was literally given a teaching on how he can be satisfied no matter his circumstances. It didn't matter to Paul if he was in prison or if he was a free man preaching the gospel. He's good. He can do all things. He can hunger for more or he can be satisfied where he's at, right? He's good. He can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. So if we have an understanding of that verse that that is not what Paul intended it to mean, then we are believing and teaching and sharing false doctrine. When we believe false doctrine, it's going to affect the way that we live and it's going to affect the way that we think. If we believe false doctrine, we're going to think falsely. We're going to think and operate in ways that aren't consistent with the scripture, in ways that are contradictory to the scripture. We'll also speak in ways that are contradictory to the scripture, which means we'll probably end up living out ways, putting things into action that are not consistent with the scripture. So that's the danger. Doctrine affects life. Um, Proper doctrine leads to proper doxology or worship. Uh, False doctrine, uh, bad doctrine, leads to poor worship and poor Christian living. And so if if you have a conviction or if you have a mindset where you say, I do, I want to worship God the way that he is intended to be worshiped. I want to serve God the way that he desires to be served. I want to worship him the way he desires to be worshiped. I want to, I want to live a Christian life that is that is keeping in step with the word of God. I want to live a Christian life that is in the light as he is in the light. If you have that desire, then sound doctrine is needed. Now, here's the thing. Doctrine typically flows most from pulpits and within the home. If if the Christian family is actually, you know, they're having family worship or they're having family devotions or, or, or some kind of attempt is being made to um, to strengthen the family through the study of the word, through prayer, and anything like that. So just using those two, uh, doctrine that flows from the pulpit and doctrine that flows from the home. Just a second. That got unfocused. Let me see if I can fix that. I'm no cameraman, but that got really out of focus for some reason. Um, but proper doctrine that flows from the pulpit and then doctrine that flows from the home. Well, here's the thing. If the doctrine that's flowing from pulpits is off and the families that are and the families are attending that church, then you can just about rest assured that if the if the doctrine is off coming from the pulpit and the families apply that doctrine, then when they go home, 
the doctrine in the family is off base. Well, if the doctrine in the family is off base, then the doctrine of the individuals is off base. And then that chain works right back the other way. If the doctrine of the individuals is off, then the doctrine of the family is off. Well, if the doctrine of the family is off, they're probably not going to be overly concerned about the doctrine which flows from the pulpit at the church that they attend. Now, vice versa. If an individual has a conviction over sound doctrine and wants sound doctrine, that person's probably going to make sure that his family has sound doctrine. And if that family pursues a proper understanding of scripture and a proper understanding of God, then they're going to be very serious about the doctrine that's flowing from the pulpit. And that leads to another issue here. I've talked to a variety of different families. Now, I'm not going to say it's a huge number. I'm not talking like 50 different families or anything like that. But we live in we live in small towns here in South Georgia. And I've talked to a good many families that they say, you know what, when it came time for our family to find a church to worship at, and we were looking for a church with sound doctrinal teaching, we found out that it was kind of difficult to find churches with sound biblical, doctrinal preaching and teaching. Now, with all of that being said, let me let me throw one more thing in there before we start looking at, at some different scriptures. Regardless of what church you attend, regardless of your background, one thing I know for sure that multitudes of Christians from every background, from every uh, denomination or whatever, one common thread that I hear across the board is that Basically, it's this sentiment of what happened. Just a few years ago, when a church would have a special meeting, a revival service or a Bible conference, there'd be people that came from all different churches and it would be well supported. And um, anytime the community uh, had an outreach event or something like that, people would want to be involved. And, and the churches used to be more full. <clears throat> Even people who weren't necessarily uh, true believers or whatever else, they would still, they came to church because they thought it was a good place to be. They they wanted to be near the church. They wanted to be around the church. People that we, and, and it goes two ways with that. It could have been people that, you know, uh, we thought they really were truly saved and a part of the church, or it could just be people that, you know, they never really joined the church or whatever else, but their family was always there. They They had a respect for God, but maybe they didn't really call themselves believers or Christians, but they did have that respect for God, and they were at church. They wanted to be a part of that community. <clears throat> and just, just a few years ago, and I hear people say all the time, it's like, well, what happened? What happened? And then the other thing is, how did we get where we're at? How did we get to the place where we've got churches in America that are embracing and supporting um, homosexual marriage, uh, LGBTQ saying that God honors these things, saying that these things are holy, um, and that's like if you're if you're new here, if you're if you're just tuning in to see who the crazy bald guy is with a beard, um, no, the biblical teaching isn't that God hates homosexuals or LGBTQ community or anything like that. But those things are not holy; those things are not ordained by God. The church is not to celebrate those things. So you, we'll hear lots of people say, "Well, how do we get here? How did the church get here?" How did the church start accepting and celebrating things that scripture is clear on that they're wrong? Well, the answer is simple. The church 
is far removed from sound doctrine. The church is not rooted and grounded in the sound doctrine of Scripture. There is a fascination with entertainment, with emotionalism, um, and with, with, with pursuing an experience with God rather than the, the sound, biblical, consistent preaching and teaching of the Word. So what do we need most? Sound doctrine. How are we going to see... How are we going to see more souls brought to salvation? Sound doctrine. How are we going to see uh, Christians strengthened and edified in the faith? How are we going to see Christians equipped for the work of the ministry? Sound doctrine. How are we going to see churches sanctified and purified? How are we going to see churches that they might have people leave, but the people that leave, they're the goats. They weren't saved to begin with. How are we going to see churches sanctified and purified um, so that they are strong and so that they are pillars of truth like they're called to be in Scripture. How are we going to see that sanctification and purification come to pass? Sound doctrine. How, are we, how can we ever see a shift back to churches, Christians, actually saying, no, the Bible says this, God has spoken, and that's what we stand on, that's what we plant our flag on. How can we ever see a shift back to that? Sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. It all goes back to that. Listen to this from uh, Deuteronomy 6. <clears throat> Give me a minute. I thought I had it marked. I do not have it marked. Give me just a moment to get to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now this, of course, is talking about the Old Testament law, but the law in the Old Testament, the commandments, that was the only word of God that his people had. And listen to how significant this is. This is Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 6. And these words, which I command you today, shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now, the thing that I really want to hone in on here, because we mentioned that sound doctrine is needed for the individual, for the family, and for the church. You will teach them to your children diligently. You will diligently teach them to your children. How often? What does, what does diligently mean? You shall talk when you sit in your house when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. How significant is it, how important is it to teach, if you have a Christian family, to teach our children the word? Well, we ought to be doing it when we sit down at the house, when we walk by the way. So in our, in our free time, when we walk by the way, when we're, uh, when we're taking care of the necessary things that we've got to take care of, um, so when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you, when you lie down and when you rise up in short all day long. Now that doesn't mean that the only words that can ever come of your mouth, come out of your mouth have to be scripture. And we're relaying that, but at various times throughout the day and for the Christian, everything relates back to God and his character, his goodness, his mercy, his grace, his justice, his wrath against sin. Everything, all of creation turns back to that because God is the creator of all things. 
And we have a responsibility to share that with our children, to share that with the world around us. And if you're a Christian leader, absolutely, we have a responsibility to share that with those that have been entrusted to our care. That everything about life points back to God because he is the creator of all things. He is the sustainer of all things. And we alone as believers have that knowledge that all things point back really to Christ. Christ has preeminence in all things. All things for him, through him, and to him are all things. We know that, so we ought to to relay that and teach that to our children, to the non-believers around us. We we remind those truths to the believers around us so that their, their faith can be strengthened. And so that's Deuteronomy 6. Let's look, let's look real quick um, at 2 Timothy. I did reference that earlier. So let's look real quick. 2 Timothy chapter 3. So you know I'm not making this up. 2 Timothy 3, um, 15, which starts in the middle of a, of a statement. I know that's bad, but um, or I know that's difficult. We'll, so we'll start at 14. But you, and this is Paul speaking to Timothy, His name's not Paul. Paul speaking to Timothy, verse 14, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So the scriptures are able to make you wise into salvation. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now that's good news. That's good stuff. If you're a Christian or if you know a Christian that says, I'm saved, but I want to be, I want to be the strongest Christian that I could possibly be for the glory of God. I want to be ready and prepared for everything that God has for me. Tell me what I need. The scripture. Yeah, yeah, I got that. I'm a Christian. I read the Bible. Tell me what I need to be like the strongest Christian I could possibly be. The scriptures. Now, the scriptures and also a strong local assembly of the saints, but it says plainly that the scriptures are able to make one complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. I want to be ready for everything that God has for me. Tell me what I need scripture and the sad truth is that answer just isn't exciting enough to some people who call themselves christians they're looking for a book by an author who's a really charismatic author and i don't mean charismatic in the denomination i just mean charismatic and they're they're a really engaging person they're an exciting person they've got a passion and a zeal for what they're doing i want to read that book i want to be like that person or they, they want this preacher to go look up on YouTube or to look up on social media who like, he's the latest trend. Like he's the he's the greatest speaker I've ever heard and there's so many things going on. I wanna listen to that guy. He'll, he'll let me know what I have to know. At the end of the day, those are some of the most dangerous things that you could do. But back to the original point here, sadly, the answer that scripture is all you need, sound doctrine is what you need, that answer just isn't, exciting enough for some people, which actually points to a greater problem that Christ is not exciting enough for some people. That 
God's word, God himself and what he has instructed to the believers and what he has given to the believers is just not quite exciting enough for some who are professing faith and want to grow and want to mature. We're just not satisfied with, really, the scriptures? Scripture is able to equip me for every good work? There's not some book on the bestsellers list or something like that that I can go read or listen to a sermon? And sure, go read a book, go listen to a pastor. But I'm telling you, with the way the world is today, finding the most popular pastor on YouTube or social media, finding the best-selling book that is a Christian book is one of the most dangerous things that you can do in the world today. One of the safest and most secure and trusted things that you can do as a believer who says that you have a desire to grow is study the word. Study the word and find a church where that pastor preaches the word, where he doesn't tell these long stories that kind of loosely relate, but he just goes verse by verse through the text. We call it exegetical preaching. He's literally just taking the text and explaining what the text means. That's, that is a, a bulletproof plan, a sure plan in growing in the faith is to feed your soul, your heart, and your mind with the knowledge and the wisdom of Christ Jesus that comes through sound doctrine. By the way, I want to take a moment here to say thank you for anybody that's tuning in, that's currently watching, that tuned in earlier. Um, really appreciate you guys. We're doing something here. We're recording live, but I'm also recording a podcast at the same time. If you're uh, not subscribed to the podcast or following the podcast, it's Christianity Proper, uh, Proper Doctrine, Proper Life, and we're on iTunes, Spotify, all of the major podcast platforms. You can find us there. Um and we're talking about what we need most, sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is what we, mean, what we need the most. So again, the two most popular places where doctrine is kind of going to be taught and given, the pulpit and the home. And we talked about if, if the doctrine from the pulpit is off, the doctrine in the home is probably going to be off. And then if the doctrine in the home is off, then we're probably not going to be too concerned about the doctrine coming from pulpits. And so the problem just kind of circulates and recirculates and it also gets worse and worse. So we sometimes we'll go to church. Christians may go to church and they think that they're being fed food that will sustain them and that will strengthen them. And actually what they're being fed is food that will corrupt and condemn them. It's like slow poison that just gets worse and worse and worse until it's totally corrupt. Um, and you say, Caleb, how in the world can you make such an outlandish statement? Um, and I would simply encourage you, if you're not in the habit, uh, because of COVID, something something really good that actually came from COVID is churches, a lot of churches started putting their services online. And I would encourage you, if you haven't, I'm not saying do this all the time, I don't want you to be consumed with it, but it is a good idea to listen to some of these pastors who are putting their stuff online. I'm one of those pastors. Listen to my stuff. Anything you hear me say, check it up against the word. But it's actually a good thing in the sense that people who do have eyes to see and ears to hear, it has never been more obvious that false doctrine is rampant. And men, men get away with saying 
just about whatever they want to say, and nobody bats an eye. Everybody's like, "Oh, that's good. That's a good word. That's a good. That's a real. That's a real popular thing. Oh, that's a good word. That was an on time word. Well, here's the thing. It doesn't matter if you feel like it was on time. It doesn't matter if you feel like it was good. If it was not a proper interpretation of the text, it was wrong, 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 and it's bad, bad, bad. Just that simple. It's just that simple. And so if you have never taken time to watch the Facebook live videos of different sermons or listen to sermon recordings and actually listen with an open Bible and you're comparing the text and you're looking, I'm telling you, you'll you'll see it. If God is merciful and God is gracious, um, you'll see that there's so many things that get said and that get shared that they're just not biblically accurate. Uh, it's false doctrine. It's false doctrine. Uh, so I wanted to give, I wanted to actually give a couple of examples. I'm not, tonight, I'm not saying this won't happen in the future, but tonight I'm not naming names. I'm not putting churches out there. But everything that I'm about to share with you except for one example <clears throat> is local churches. Uh, Baxley, um, Baxley and Glenville. <clears throat> local churches, things that are just wrong. Okay, um, and and by the way, please keep in mind if you hear that and you say, "Well, Caleb, who are you to say that that this is wrong?" Good, great. I'm glad that you go to the Word. Don't just listen to me. Go to the Word, and we're going to look at the Word because Matthew 13, Matthew 13 is the first place that I want to go. Matthew chapter 13. Now, strangely enough, I've actually heard two separate sermons recently on this passage. Now, this passage is a parable, um, and it's the parable of the wheat and the tares. <clears throat> now, the thing about a parable, well, the things, the thing about recorded parables that we have in Scripture is typically, if you read far enough along, Jesus doesn't just tell the parable, and a few verses later, he'll typically explain the parable to the disciples. So... Parables ought to be very, very hard to misinterpret if we're teaching the parable because a lot of times Jesus himself interprets the parable for us. So all we have to do is literally just repeat what Jesus said. And that way we know for a fact that we are interpreting that parable correctly because Jesus himself has already interpreted it. Now, that's the case with this parable. Verses 24 through 30 are the parable. In verses 36 through 43, Jesus himself explains the parable and tells us exactly what it means. Now, why am I stressing this point? Because the first sermon that I heard that involved Matthew 13, oddly enough, the pastor read the parable and he read Jesus' Jesus's own interpretation of it. And then he, he preached an interpretation that was not Jesus' interpretation of the parable. Now, folks, it, it's not an exaggeration to say. You might think that it is. I promise you it's not an exaggeration to say that at the very least, somebody in that church should have stood up and whether it was after the service or in the middle of the service, should have stood up and said, can I just ask you one question? Why did you say that that parable meant something different than what Jesus himself said that it meant? 
Or the other thing that should have happened is that every true believer in that place ought to just stood up and left. Because without a doubt, that passage was being mangled and manhandled by that pastor. When we literally have Jesus's own interpretation of a passage, we should probably stick with his interpretation. It's really not complicated. I'm going to read this parable. Another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servants said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First, gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. Then gather the wheat into my barn. Now, without even before we even get to Jesus's interpretation, the other thing about parables is a lot of times they'll begin with something like this. The kingdom of heaven is like. And what that tells us is simply what it tells us. Jesus here is given an example of what the kingdom of heaven is like. This parable relates to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is literally telling his disciples, here is one way that you can think about the kingdom of heaven. Good seed is planted. While the one who planted good seed while his workers were asleep, which is a natural part of, listen, anybody who's ever planted a field, a planted seed in a field, you, you can't stay awake 24 seven to make sure that nothing happens. Like it's a natural part of the process. You go to sleep at some point. So his workers fell asleep. I'm stressing that for a reason. That's going to come up later. It's a natural part of the process to go to sleep. That's not a bad thing. You can't stay up 24-7. So hold on to that. We're going to come back to it. While his men slept, an enemy sowed tears. When the workers saw this, when they perceived what had happened, they went to him and said, didn't we plant good seed? How's their tears? Do you want us to go ahead and start? And he said, no, no, no. Let them grow together. Let them grow together at the appointed time, okay? Until the time of harvest, here's what's gonna happen. First, I'm gonna tell the reapers, first, gather the tares and prepare them in bundles to be burned. Then, gather the wheat into the barn. So if we look, okay, the kingdom of heaven, there's wheat and there's tares, there's seeds that were planted, but there's wheat, there's tares, there's coming a time where everything's gonna be harvested. There's going to be a great big harvest. The wheat is gonna be stored up. The tares is gonna be burned. Well, it kind of sounds like the judgment that's gonna take place at the end of the world. And the reason I'm saying that is this isn't, a, this isn't one of those things where I think it takes, like you didn't have to go to seminary to get this parable, right? Jesus literally said, this is, the kingdom of heaven is like, and he tells this parable. But now, that's Caleb's words, just paraphrasing a little bit. Here's the words of Jesus himself telling the disciples exactly what the parable means. Verse 
36, Matthew 13, 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares in the field. Jesus answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man, Jesus. The field is the world. That's a big field, right? The field is the whole world. So there's good seed that's planted throughout the world. The good seed, the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. So there's the world, there's sons of the kingdom, those that are gonna to come to salvation, the, the elect, the chosen of God, there's the sons of the kingdom. Then there's the tares, there's the sons of the wicked one, right? At the end of the age, that is when there's gonna be the great and final eternal separation. The tares are gonna be bundled and thrown into fire. The wheat is gonna be gathered and stored up in the barn. It's gonna be reaped for the harvest, okay? Uh, the harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all the things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing or weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So we've read the parable and we've read the interpretation. The first sermon that I listened to on this passage, um, the guy speaking said, I'm here to talk to you today about why men sleep. So right out of the gate, I knew that what he was going to preach, what he was going to speak, it was not a sermon on the kingdom of heaven. So right out of the gate, we're on a bad foot. We're, we're on bad footing. But here's how, he, here's how he got his point. There is a line in this parable. While men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Now, what's the point in the parable? right? Satan, the wicked one, he has sown tares throughout the world. That's, that's the main point of the parable. Now notice in Jesus's interpretation, he did not chide the workers for falling asleep. He didn't tell them he had done anything wrong. The workers literally don't even really come up in the interpretation that Jesus himself gives. But this pastor, his entire sermon, his entire sermon was about these men who fell asleep. And he, and he then proceeded, I don't know why this keeps going out of focus. Again, I'm not a cameraman, but I'll, do, I'll try to do my best. He, uh, his whole sermon was saying that if you are a man, you've got to make sure that you are not spiritually asleep because Satan can get your family. Satan can get your finances. Satan can get your happiness. He can steal your joy if you're asleep. Now, I wanna say two things before I move to my next example. First is there are passages about being spiritually asleep, if you will. So that's not a that's not a foreign concept to scripture. In fact, in the book of Romans, we're literally told to 
wake from our slumber, to, to wake up that, that now salvation is closer than it was at the first. Um, that's Romans 12 or 13, I think 13. So there are passages that we can go to that we say, hey, it's important, don't fall asleep. We have to be alert. We have to be awake. Uh, we have to live as those that are of the daytime and not the nighttime. So, and I'm bringing that up to say this, the point of a sermon wasn't necessarily just completely off base. It is important for everybody, men and women. And, I, and his point was, if you're the man, you're the head of the household. And everything, so that's great. So the point of a sermon is not foreign to scripture. However, secondly, and this is the, this passage has nothing to do with what the man preached. That's a mishandling of the text. So what happens when a message like that is taught? What could happen? It doesn't happen with everybody, but here's what could happen. Somebody may have left the church that day thinking, man, you know what? I've never really understood the parable of the wheat and the tares, but now I understand. This parable is warning us that we don't need to fall asleep because if we fall asleep, Satan can ruin our families and he can ruin our finances. That's, Scott, that's literally nowhere in here. It's a complete misrepresentation of the text. Here's why that's a big deal. God inspired the scriptures. We as preachers and teachers, when we tell somebody, this is what this passage of scripture means, here's what we're really saying. This is what God is teaching us through his word. And if we misrepresent God, if we misrepresent God and what he has spoken, that is a weighty thing, and we ought, that ought to sober us up. Each and every time we stand behind a pulpit, even if you're a Sunday school teacher, each and every time you open up that Sunday school lesson or whatever, if you in any way, shape, or form are teaching the Word of God, we, each one of us needs to understand that is a weighty thing. There is no higher calling in life. And this, is, this isn't... I, it's not like I'm picking something that I even have to be nitpicky about. There's, there's no way around it. That is not what this parable means. And to be honest, guys, it's not even close. The bad seed that is sown is tares, tares, bad seed, the, the sons of the evil one that are in the world. The, the bad seeds that are sown is not a tax on your family or a tax on your finances. By the way, anytime you hear a pre, this is, I'll tell you this for free. Anytime you hear a pastor really harp on finances and he talks about, well, if you do this, God will bless your finances. Or if you do this, God will curse your finances or God will, you know, God won't bless your finances. You're already, you're already dealing with somebody who's probably dangerous, but I digress. But what, what bothered me the most about this sermon is the man read Jesus's own interpretation and still taught wrongly. And here's where I get to the heartbreaking point because I don't, I don't want anybody to think, well, Caleb's just angry. Is Caleb mad? Is Caleb like, does he want all these men to just stop talking and never be able to, to use their voice again? In some ways, yes, <laughs> but... I'm angry, I'm mad at sin. What I mean by that is this. That's not just some vague statement. 
I want to I want to go a little bit deeper and and help the deceptiveness of sin. Okay, the deceptiveness of sin. Sin deceives people. Satan is the great deceiver. When people believe false doctrine, when people are teaching false doctrine, a lot of times they're really not cognizant or aware of what they're actually doing. In their heart, in their mind, they genuinely believe what they're doing is correct. What they're doing is proper when in reality it's far from it. And that's heartbreaking. That breaks my heart for the people. Um, and by God's grace, it, it leads me to pray that, that, that people would be brought out of these false teachings and these false doctrines and that people would be saved out of these things if it's salvation that, that is what they stand in need of. But it infuriates me that the deception runs so deep and it angers me that the deception is so powerful that people can literally read Jesus's own interpretation of a parable and then proceed to interpret it differently and they don't understand what they've done is wrong and what they've done is sinful. And that's heartbreaking because I don't, I don't really believe this particular individual. I don't know him well. I know him. I do not know him well. But I really, I really don't believe that he has any malicious intent, that his aim is to hurt people or to harm people. I believe the man is deceived. And he thinks that he is helping people. But the issue is he's blinded to the error of his ways. And the only one strong enough or great enough to open the man's eyes is God himself through his spirit and through sound doctrine. When we hear a preacher preach something like that, or if we have one of our friends who they tell us, well, I think this passage means this. How do we correct that? How can we take what's crooked and make it straight? Right? How can we take something that's wrong and redeem it and make it right? Well, when, it's, when we're talking about doctrine, the only way to correct false doctrine is with sound doctrine. The only way to correct a bad or a faulty interpretation of, of Scripture is with a proper interpretation of Scripture. The other thing, this is the same sermon. The other thing that he did, he actually went to Matthew 12 and he went to this portion where the Pharisees accused Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Satan himself. And Jesus says, a house divided can't stand. Um, Every city or house divided against itself will not stand. This is Matthew 12, verse 26 now. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or... How can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. So this is clearly a passage where Jesus is saying, I have bound the strong man. I am greater than the power of Satan, the power of the evil one. I am greater. I have the authority to plunder his goods. I have the authority to bind him. 
And it has happened. The kingdom of God is upon you. That's what this passage is teaching. He took this and said, men, if you are asleep, you have been bound by Satan and he will attack your family, attack your finances. And then he did the whole thing again. Just wrong. So that's my first, I'm not trying to make the whole podcast about that one sermon. So there's your first example. This is, that was a church in, I said Baxley, that was a church in Hazelhurst. That was a church in Hazelhurst. Um, there was another church that, again, oddly enough, the guy preached the same passage. Now, we've already read the passage, so I don't have to read it again. Matthew 13, the parable of the wheat and the tares. And he used this to teach why there's still evil in the world, which that is a little bit, I mean, that that's kind of a logical conclusion that you could come to based upon this parable because the wheat and the tares are growing together. So as long as there's tares in the world, there's gonna be some evil. But he ended up saying in his sermon that, the reason that there's still evil in the world is God is on the throne in heaven, but he's not on the throne on earth. Now that's incredibly troubling. Um, Daniel chapter four, King Nebuchadnezzar himself literally said that um, God does whatever he pleases with the inhabitants of earth and the inhabitants of heaven. Who can stay his hand? His dominion is an everlasting dominion. So, that seems God has authority already, period. Um, you can read Isaiah. Really, the whole the, I love the whole section. It's like Isaiah 45, 46, and 47. There's just, there's a lot packed in there. But God calls the end from the beginning. He raises up, <clears throat> excuse me, he raises up Cyrus to accomplish his purpose. God, in, in Isaiah 10, God uses the wicked king of Assyria as his weapon against Israel. And he's in full control there. But even, let's go to the New Testament. Before Jesus ascended, this is what he said. I'm sure many of us are very familiar with this. We refer to this as the Great Commission. But now keep in mind what this preacher said. God is on his throne in heaven, but he's not yet on the throne on earth. Now what, there's not really any way you can get around that. What that means is, God has full authority to do whatever he wants in heaven, but he's not yet fully reigning. He's not yet in full control on earth. Therefore, that's why we still have evil because God's not actually in full control. He's not actually reigning. Folks, that's bad theology. That's bad doctrine. Matthew 28, verse 18. This is after the resurrection. This is right before Christ's ascension. Ascension. I jumbled my words. I'm Southern. It sounded like I said descension right before Christ ascension. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Sounds like Jesus is Lord. Sounds like Jesus is reigning. Sounds like Jesus is at the right hand of the Father until all his enemies are made his footstool. So how can anybody, not just a pastor, how can anybody say, well, God is on his throne in heaven, but he's not on the throne on earth. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. So that's two examples. And again, oddly enough, two examples from the same passage. Um, an example that is not locally, 
Um, this is a, a really, really famous pastor. Uh, but he, he, he taught in one of his sermons that if you don't tithe, not just if you don't tithe, if you don't tithe from the very first, like as soon as you get your paycheck, the first thing you do is tithe. God will curse your finances. I don't even really need to get into that one. That one's obvious enough. Or I hope that that one's obvious enough. Um, where the people perish, where there is no vision, or the people perish, where there is no vision, it's it's New Year's, or New Year's was recently, so churches, pastors love to use that, right? We're gonna have our vision casting Sunday because the Bible says the people perish where there is no vision. Well, here's the thing. Uh, even if the word vision there meant what we use it as in our vernacular, like a vision of here's my goal that I want to accomplish, here's my vision, even if the word meant that, it still wouldn't fit with how most people use it because a lot of people say, well, here's our vision. We want to have a new building by the end of the year. Here's our vision. We want five pe 500 people in church by the end of the year. It but within that context, Proverbs 29, 18, vision in the old testament god communicated to his people through the prophets and god spoke to the prophets through visions and dreams and various and sundry different ways to use a kjv word um and so where there is no vision where the prophets of god are not getting a word from god are not getting instruction from god the people will perish the people will will go crazy because they'll they'll do whatever's right in their own eyes and as we've read if you read the Old Testament, there was many times where people did what was right in their own eyes. Where there is no vision, where there is no instruction, where there is no word of God, people do whatever is right in their own eyes. And ironically enough, whenever there's not sound doctrine, when there's no vision, when there's no word of God, when there's no sound doctrine being preached, people will do whatever they want to do and they'll say that it's godly. They'll do whatever they want to do and they'll think that they're still worshiping God. So the proverb is actually true just not in the way that we typically say that it is or think that it is. But another another thing that I want to address head on, um, twice, this is another one, twice, um, recently, I've seen people share others teaching that somebody who is truly saved can become unsaved again. Now, I plan on doing um, a thoughtful theology on this, and so we'll, we'll go over that. But then I also plan on doing a, um, I plan on doing a standalone episode just on this topic. Okay, so keep that in mind. I'm not gonna go deep, deep into this here, but I'm gonna do a thoughtful theology on it, and I'm gonna do a standalone episode just on this topic, because this is, this was, This was gut-wrenching. And I'm I'm not saying that to try to use dramatic language. I'm being sincere. Like this was one of those things where I watched these videos and it was like the breath was taken out of me a little bit. Because this is such a this is personal to me. For those of you who don't know me, um, this particular doctrine is very, very personal to me. Uh, and I'll get into that on the standalone episode that's coming later. Uh, I just don't have time to get into it tonight. We've already been going an hour. Um, but also just, even if it wasn't a personal thing with me, 
It is just such a blatantly, clearly false teaching that it's heartbreaking that any any professing Christian could misunderstand the goodness and the steadfast love of God to the extent that we could be saved today and lost tomorrow. So just briefly, I want to point out um, a few things. I'm, I'm really only going to use one, one passage of Scripture. Again, uh, I'm going to do a standalone episode on this, but I want to read from 1 Peter um, chapter 1, verse, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. The reason I counted to three is because you have a Trinitarian doctrine here, um, right here in the first two verses of 1 Peter. And so elect, chosen, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father. So those who are saved are the elect of God, the chosen of God, chosen by the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for what? Well, this is for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Salvation is a Trinitarian truth. Um, in short, there is a people that the father has given to the son. The son purchases the redemption and secures the salvation of all those that were given to him by the father when he dies on the cross and he's resurrected three days later. The spirit of God then regenerates the believer, raises them up to new life, gives them new life, regenerates them and the Spirit is also the seal or the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it. Now that's that's Ephesians one. You could these are just a couple of verses here. If you read all of Ephesians one and, and Ephesians two, because just in case there's some people that are like, oh yeah, you people, you only like to use Ephesians one. You know, read Ephesians one and two. Read all of Scripture. This is a doctrine. Uh, this teaching of of a, of a secure salvation is all throughout the Scriptures. So. We're sealed by the Spirit until we acquire uh, our inheritance. Well, we don't, we don't fully acquire our inheritance until we're in glory forever. But another thing that I want to read from, uh, <clears throat> from this passage here in First, First Peter um, is this. Verse 17 of chapter 1. If you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's works... Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him Glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you, having purified your souls and obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, 
having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. We're born again with, with incorruptible seed. So those who have been born again will never see corruption. So if somebody has truly been born again, they're born of incorruptible seed. That seed's never going to die out. That seed's never going to see corruption. So for somebody to say, well, no, somebody can be truly saved, but then they can still ultimately perish. I want to start here. That would actually insinuate that there has to be a third birth. So born once, then we're born again of incorruptible seed, but then we're born again, again, back into corruptible seed. That just doesn't even... It doesn't even begin to flow biblically or logically. If you're born again of incorruptible seed, what does incorruptible mean? What does eternal life mean? It means incorruptible and it means eternal. So we, we overlook a theological step if we say, well, you can be born again and on your way to heaven, but then you can forfeit it or you can, be, you can fall from grace. That would still mean that a person who is born again of incorruptible seed ultimately sees death. You can't get around that. There's not a third birth back into corruption. Okay. Another thing that I want to bring up is John 17. If you would just read John 17, um, Jesus himself prays, Father, those that you have given me, I don't pray that you take them out of the world. I pray, um, I pray that you keep them from the evil one. God, God the Father himself keeping us from the evil one. Jesus, who we know now is sitting at the right hand of the Father, is interceding on our behalf, but God the Father himself is keeping us from the evil one. Um, there's documents within these denominations that teach that you could forfeit your salvation or whatever else. And the wording in some of them says that through manifold temptation, through manifold temptation or, or, or various things of the world, people can fall away. Well, where does temptation come from? It comes from within, but but who plants that stuff in front of us? Who is trying to lure us away from God? Who is trying to keep us from the knowledge of the truth? So even if you were to say, well, it's through, it's through manifold temptation, it's through different things that lead to that, then you're still teaching that even though God the Father himself is trying to keep us from the evil one, the evil one can still have the victory and lure us away from God. And he can actually win that victory. Now, some people will say, no, 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 we're not saying that, we're just saying that somebody can actually choose to walk away from the faith. Even though they were really saved, they can choose to just walk away from the faith. So this, the question's still the same. Even though God himself is trying to keep you and keep, keep you from the evil one, but in the grand scheme of things, he's, keeping us because Jesus said that <coughs> nobody can snatch us from his hand. The father who is greater than I, nobody can snatch them from our hand. Somebody can decide just, so even though God desires to keep us, our will to leave overpowers his will and his power to keep. Furthermore, anybody who's truly saved the Spirit leads them into all truth. The Spirit guards them. The Spirit sanctifies them. They're not going to ultimately drift off and want to leave the fold. Furthermore, 
Use the example of the sheep and the shepherd. When the sheep wanders off, whose responsibility is it to get the sheep back in the fold? Do we just hope and pray that the sheep figures it out and gets brought back? No, the shepherd goes and gets that sheep and brings it back. Who's the good shepherd? Jesus. Is Jesus going to fail to bring in that which was lost? Is Jesus going to fail to bring back that rebellious, stubborn sheep that keeps trying to wander off? No, he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. I will raise them up on the last day. Furthermore, he says, the sheep know my voice. They follow me. They will not listen to the voice of a stranger. Also, elsewhere in scripture, it says that God sustains us to the end, that he keeps us and he will present us holy and blameless before him in glory. And you can can go throughout all of the scriptures. John 6, John 10, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Peter 1 that we that we did read. You can look at the closing of the book of Jude. Um, you can look at the opening, um, the opening paragraph in Titus there. You can look at Philippians. He that has begun a good work in you will, will complete it. Not, it has been given to you not only to believe, but to suffer. But it has been given to you to believe, but not. But it's God who does these things. Work out your own salvation, for it's God who works within you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so we need sound doctrine. It is imperative. Our professing Christians, our brothers and sisters in Christ are never going to be strengthened, never going to mature, never going to be equipped for every good work without sound doctrine. Our Christian families are not going to operate in ways that fully honor and glorify God without sound doctrine. And our churches are never going to be true biblical churches that are pillars and buttresses of truth without sound doctrine. And if our pastors, those who call themselves pastors, do not have a burden to preach and teach sound doctrine, then great is the judgment that is coming to them. Teachers are held to a stricter judgment. We're literally told in Scripture, let not many of you become teachers. Those who preach and teach from the word of God, we're literally telling people, this is what God has spoken. And if we are giving them falsehoods and lies, then we are falsely representing a holy God. And that's dangerous. That's dangerous. We need sound doctrine. Where does sound doctrine come from? The word of God. The word of God rightly understood. How do we rightly understand it? When we read the word of God, our mindset ought to be, God, what have you spoken? What did you intend it to mean? What did Moses intend, you know, these these, these books to mean? What did what did Paul intend for his letters to mean? What did David intend for the Psalms that he wrote? What did he intend for them to mean? Not what do I feel like they mean? Not what do I think they might mean? And by the way, listen, all of us, we stand on the shoulders of giants. So what that means simply is that there's great resources for us to go and look back. You can look into church history and you can see what the early church believed about certain things. And you can trace that all the way back, all the way back to like the the, the blossoming and the budding of, of the early church. And we can see historically what things have been considered orthodox and what things have been considered heresy, but we study to show ourselves approved. And we know that ultimately it's the spirit of God who grants 
the understanding of the text, the understanding of sound doctrine, but rest assured, Scripture interprets Scripture. So sound doctrine is that which flows from Genesis to Revelation without contradiction, without um, without putting the Bible at odds with one another. Scripture interprets Scripture. There's a harmony there. Uh, there's a unity there. We don't come before the Word of God to try to figure out what we what what fits best. We don't, like the one guy did from Matthew 13, we don't say, oh, while men sleep or while men slept, I can make a sermon out of that. I can teach that. No, we need to teach what the Bible actually means, what that parable actually meant. We need to teach what the Bible actually teaches about salvation, about what the gospel really is, about how who Jesus really is. We need sound doctrine. And again, to kind of end um, where I started, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's able to make one wise unto salvation and it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness that, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. In chapter four of 2 Timothy, Paul immediately goes into this. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and, and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine and they will heap unto themselves teachers for their itching ears. There is a way in which to preach and teach scripture that will get you a large audience and there's large audience that want a preacher to tell them what they want. But only sound doctrine saves. Only sound doctrine sustains. Only sound doctrine sanctifies. It's sound doctrine that is what we need. Um, I actually kept you guys on here for the whole recording. Um, we're at 100. 100. It's late. We're at an hour and 21 minutes. Um, so thank you guys for listening. I appreciate that. Um, what do we need most? We need sound doctrine. If you, if you are really at a place where you just say, I don't even know where to begin with what's sound, what's not sound, what's true and what's false. I don't, I don't even really feel like I know how to study the scriptures. I, I, I don't, I just don't feel like I know where to begin. Uh, if you're local, I would love to meet up with you to try to encourage you. This is not, I would love to meet up with you so that I can tell you everything you need to believe. No, 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 no. That's not what our ministry is about. I would love to meet you and try to encourage you to pray with you. I will attempt to study the scriptures with you and I pray that it'll be a benefit uh, because we need, we need um, fellowship. Iron sharpens iron. If you're not local or if you are local, but you would rather just text or call. I can give you resources. Um, and I can, I mean, Ligonier Ministries, Desiring God, Grace to You, which is John MacArthur's ministry. Um, Got Questions is a website. You literally, it's gotquestions.org, I think. Uh, it might be .com, but I think it's .org for some reason. Um, there's, there's lots of really good tools. Um, but when it comes to studying the word, the best thing to do is if you're not in the habit of reading the scriptures, just start reading the scriptures. Start studying the word. If you if you have questions, write them down. If you have questions, ask someone that you that you do have confidence they really are 
seeking God. They really are out to glorify God. They're not trying to build their own, um, their own platform or, or trying to build their own little Christian army type deal, but that they're out to glorify God and they really just want to speak the truth of the scriptures and that they can back it up and they can say, here's what, here's how we know scripture means this. Um, I pray this has been an encouragement, a blessing to you. I pray that it's at the very least led to, led to some questions and led you to think through some stuff. Um, you, you can reach out to me at any time, 912-339-4211. I would genuinely love to hear from you. As far as proper ministries is, is concerned, we have uh, the public question and answer coming up Saturday night, this Saturday night at uh, at 6 p.m. at the Point Church in Hazelhurst. You can just Google the Point Church Hazelhurst and uh, GPS will hook you up. Um we have the proper nook at the farmhouse in Glenville. <clears throat> um, if you don't know where the farmhouse is, it's a great restaurant. I know the people who own it. The food's great. It's my parents' place. Um, but if you walk into the restaurant, the library, the proper nook is there in the back. It's free of charge. You just you pick your book. You leave the borrower's card. You're good to go. Um, if you're looking for some study material or whatever, we've got a good selection up there already. So check out the proper nook. This is Christianity Proper, the podcast uh, for proper ministries, uh, proper doctrine, proper life. Um, Let us hear from you. If you've got ideas for future installments, if you've got questions that you want us to answer live on here, um, send them in. If if you've got concerns over stuff that you hear me say, if you've got concerns over, over my doctrine or whatever, I'd still love to hear from you and get to know you and study alongside of you. But thank you guys so much in the future for the Facebook stuff. I kept you guys on here tonight. Um, but in the future, we're planning on, we're going to stay live for maybe 40, 45 minutes or so. And then the rest will be just on the podcast. Um, but Man, if any of you watched the majority of this, you guys are troopers. Um, again, I would encourage you, if you're not in the habit of listening to podcasts, I would encourage you to do that. If you go to the gym, if you go running, if you go walking, if you go biking, whatever, if you have hobbies or while you're washing dishes or whatever, put some headphones on and listen to a podcast. It doesn't have to be this one. There's a lot of great podcasts out there that are super helpful, um, super edifying. But thank you guys so much. Uh, we'll catch you uh, next week. Um with the next installment, but what do we need most? We need sound doctrine. We need sound doctrine that flows from the pulpits in the churches, and we need sound doctrine that flows at at the dinner table from the father, the husband of the home, to the family. We need sound doctrine within those families. We need sound doctrine that, that flows from the hearts of every individual who professes faith in Christ. So, um, Love you guys. Thank you so much for uh, for tuning in. Uh, those of you who just tuned in, like here at the last, or either I'm just getting your notifications. Rex Blackburn, long time, man. How you doing? Um, Grayson and Ansley Folsom, I think I know y'all. Caleb Ellington, Lupe, Sean and Candy, thank you guys so much for tuning in. This is on the podcast as well. If you're not following us, iTunes, Spotify, all the major podcast platforms, Christianity Proper, Proper Doctrine, Proper Life. Thank you guys. We'll catch you next time.